So we're in our series of James. By the way, let me introduce myself. I'm Mark. I'm the director of worship arts. I'm usually the guy behind the piano, but as you know, Jeremy and I are switching off for a season uh, in, this time in our church. So this week is my turn as we go through our series of James. And we're in James chapter one, verses 21, I believe, 21 through 25. So today we're gonna talk about reflection. We're gonna talk about something, the first few weeks have been good, but now we're getting into the meat of what James is talking about. The transformational part of what James is talking about. So today we're gonna talk about reflection and what it means to be not only just hearers of the word, but doers of the word as well. That we allow scripture to simply not just be words on a page, a duty, a responsibility. We get up in the morning, we have our 10 minute quiet time, I'm good for the day, right? So that used to be my, my life in college. I was the good church boy, always went to church, grew up in a family, my grandfather was the music director, my mom was the piano player, my grandma sang in the choir, my daddy was chairman of the deacons the whole nine yards. I went to church on Sunday morning, we went back again on Sunday nights. I had Wednesday night prayer meeting, Wednesday night youth group, youth choir. I was the church boy. And when I got off to college, things happen. When you get off to college, then you have to decide for yourself what your faith is going to be. And the faith of your parents, in my case, my mom and dad, they only took me so far. And when I got out on my own, college people think they're out on their own. Um, when I got out on my own in college, I discovered that problems, situations, hurts, angers, anxieties, all those things that we deal with, regret, shame, all those things. My parents' faith alone didn't sustain me. I didn't have a root system. I didn't have a faith that was mine, a faith that I had internalized, a faith that I had transferred from words on a page to applicable daily living. Does that make sense? I went through the motions, don't get me wrong. I mean, every morning I got up and I did my 10 minutes and I literally watched the clock. Okay, I'm starting at two after, so 10 plus two, 12. I was a music major. So at 12 after, I'm done. And honest to John, it did not matter if I was in the mid-sentence, 10 minutes, boop, 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 I'm done, out of here, off to my day. And there are some great jewels in the Bible. I mean, there is just some, some awesome things. There are some weird things. There are some weird stories in the Bible. You go through the Old Testament, man. Hit the book of Judges. Read the book of Judges. It's like Game of Thrones. And there, you know, you meet, you meet the people in college or you meet these young intellectuals or even old intellectuals that kind of give you the shrug eye about, you, you mean you still believe about a, a guy and his family that got on a boat with two kinds of every animals and really? I mean, you really believe that, that some guy named Jonah was sitting on the land and he didn't do what God said, so a big fish came up and swallowed him and then puked him out three days later, really? I mean, you really believe that Elijah just was taken off in a chariot of fire, didn't die, and people just watched him, woo, really? And my response has changed. Used to when I was young, I'm old now. When I was a kid, my response would be the typical response. God said it, that settles it. 
The Bible says it, and that settles it. And I try to convince someone in my own power and in my own intellectual to try and be convinced about these stories that happened thousands of years ago. And I've changed how I respond in those scenarios. I say, you know what? If you're getting hung up on whether that actually happened or didn't, you're missing the whole point of why the story is there. And so much of it in our churches today, we get hung up on such minute little things that we miss the whole reason why it's there in the first place. And the whole purpose of scripture, the whole purpose of the New Testament, whether they be letters that Paul wrote, whether they be gospels that were written by the apostles about the life of Christ, whether it be in the Old Testament, they be a book of poems, Song of Solomon, that one's, I don't preach on Song of Solomon. Read that one every once in a while. That'll get you going. Or whether it's historical, or whether it's Genesis, when we approach scripture and we allow it to come into our hearts, when we absolutely stop just reading it and it becomes daily applicable, we have to look at what we're reading. We have to know it. I, I was a history minor. I love the history parts of it to know what's going on. What did Paul mean when he was writing in Galatians to the church at Galatia, to the Hebrews? Thessalonica, the books of Thessalonians, do we know where that came from, what they were struggling with in these early churches? So I, I got a couple of things to say before we move in there. Because I, as I was studying um, for this sermon today, I thought it was important that you know what's in the Bible, but I also thought it important that you know what's not in the Bible. Because I was looking for verses of some things that I thought were in the Bible, and I discovered, hey, that's not scripture. You ready for this? God helps those who help themselves. That ain't anywhere in there. I was totally ready to be dependent on God. I did my work. I didn't help myself, and God's going to help me. It ain't in there. You ready for this one? Cleanliness is next to godliness. Mom, that is not in the Bible. She used it. Ready for this one? Money is the root of all evil. That's not in there. Now the scripture says, for the love of money is the root of all evil. Let's read our scripture for today. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. Can I pause right there? But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing he will be blessed in what he does. Uh-huh. Great. So now what? What does this say? I want to talk about two things today. The who from the do. The who from the do. And how they correlate with each other and how they don't correlate with each other. Scripture says don't simply read it. Do it. Don't simply make it a pattern Make it part of your life. Internalize it. 
So I was gonna preach on the do, right? So do, James always talks about actions and faith, faith versus actions and faith versus works. And God has this funny way of whatever the topic is, he tends to take me through something the week before I'm about to speak it. So let me talk about my do this week. As you know, we're in the midst of searching for a, a new pastor, so Jeremy and I have, have taken on some of the pastoral responsibilities. So Monday, I went to a homebound couple and was there for a couple of hours and provided them communion, prayed with them, laughed with them, talked with them. Thursday, I went to another homebound couple. 95 degrees, must have been in that house. It was so hot. Provided them communion, prayed with them, laughed with them. Yesterday morning, I was here singing and playing at a funeral. Yesterday afternoon, I officiated a wedding. Today, I'm preaching. I am tired of doing. <laughs> Come on, call committee. Let's get a pastor in. I'm ready to sit back at the piano. But I, it was a perfect example of what we needed to hear today and what this scripture says of not only being hearers of the word, but being doers. And we have to be careful, though, because we can reach over into that area that we base our faith on what we do. And the more we do, we think that we can somehow elevate ourselves in God's kingdom, right? So that God has this view of me, and it's going to get better if I do more. Because he's going to have this thought that, oh, they're really in it. So I'm going to somehow bless them more. I'm going to somehow be more of a God to them because they're doing more. And unfortunately, there are churches and theologies who preach that principle. I simply disagree with that. Because my who is not connected with my do. My who, can I explain my who? My who is not Mark, the great singer, Mark, the great player. When I step foot on the ground in the morning, first thing, hit my feet, hit the ground. I don't say, I am Mark. I am my parents' child. I can play the piano. I've been told that I remind them of Elton John. <laughs> when my feet hit the floor, I am a child of God. I'm a child of God. Blood-bought, redeemed, sanctified. And if I was to get up off of that bed, drop dead of a heart attack, I would enter into heaven and inherit all that is mine because I am a child of God. When my parents, they're retired, they've moved to North Carolina, they have on beautiful property. Hi, mom and dad, they're watching. And they have a lovely home, trucks, fifth wheelers, a whole nine yards, on a river. When they die, I'm gonna get it. And if my sister's watching, I'll share. <laughs> but I'm going to get it. I didn't do anything for it. Nothing. My mom and daddy worked hard all of their lives. Raised children. Both of them worked. I didn't have a mama that was home when I got home baking cookies. That's awesome if you have that. She wasn't. And I've done nothing but I'm, when they go, I'm going to inherit Hopefully what's left. Dad says, we're spending it now. <laughs> but that is you, dear child of God. You are princes 
and princesses in the kingdom of God. You are heirs to all that God has for you. And you did nothing to earn it. And you can do nothing to reject it. You can do nothing that separates you from his love. When you are in the kingdom, when you have found yourself, that you said, I am a sinner, I understand this. I understand in my flesh and in my humanity that I am not worthy. But when God looks at you, he does not see you, he sees his son and the blood of Christ that washes away and makes us whiter than snow. Now, when we realize who our who is, I am this child of God, then we put into perspective what our do is. When I go before God and I stand at the end of time and I look at him and I hopefully recognize him, that I've had such a relationship with him here on earth that it's not like meeting somebody new. And when I see him, I'm not going to say, oh, thank God I'm here, I'm a Lutheran. Woo. I'm gonna say, guess what? I'm here because I believed in your son and I believed that your son died for me and he separated my who from my do that my due was covered under the blood of Christ. Scripture, when we read scriptures, do not be hearers of the word only, but be doers. How do we allow scripture to transform our life? I had a roommate in college. He loved to write scriptures on sticky notes. Drove me nuts. Everywhere. He put them on the shower, on the mirror in the shower. He'd read them. He'd line his door into his bedroom. He'd put them in the kitchen. He had them in his car on his dashboard. I mean, the guy was nuts, drove me crazy. But you know what? <laughs> the first time I had some sort of problem or some sort of issue or some sort of crisis, do you know what I remembered? Those verses on those stupid sticky notes. I will remember those. Well, what does the Bible have for my life to be applicable? Are you kidding me? Have you read it? Are you struggling with fear? Are you a fearful person? Go look up what the Bible says about fear. Are you sorrowful? Have you lost something, someone in your life? Go to the Bible. Man, cast your cares upon him for he cares for you. Are you angry? Are you mad? Man, go to the Bible, see what it says about anger, how to control anger. Do you have a problem with gossiping? Whew, there's some tongue verses. Verses about the tongue, the power of speech, the power of the word for positive and negative. There isn't a problem that you have that the Bible doesn't have an answer to, that God doesn't have a solution for. Now, we want to somehow, some people are far more educated than I. They are far more theological knowledge than I do. They know the Bible backwards and forwards. And so if you want to know a theological diatribe on LCMS stance of this, I, I, I'm probably not the guy to kind of give it to you. I can, I can go find it. 
But I can tell you that the word of God meets you, reaches you where you're at. I tell the story often when I was in college. Good, good boy. But by the, my junior year, I was kind of done with the whole church thing. I've showed up and played organ at First Presbyterian downtown. We'd be out till all hours of the night. I'd go home, shower. Still, I'd wear this, and I'd put a robe over it. That's how I learned to play organ in flip-flops because I was from Florida. And it had nothing to do. I, I, was, I was done. I was done. I, I'd done it with my life. I thought, this isn't applicable to me. I, I'm too smart for this. Remember that phase when your kids go to college and all of a sudden they come back and they think they know way more than you ever did? And then you hit the 30 mark and you realize your parents are intelligent, brilliant people that have only ever had the best for you. Those of you who are getting ready to go off to college, trust me, it'll happen. Some big crisis will happen and you'll go, oh, my parents aren't stupid. Oh. But I was reading one night, John chapter 17. In the first half of John chapter 17, there's this verse, let me set the scenario. Jesus is in the garden and he knows he's about to be turned over and he knows about his, what he's about to go through, being crucified. And he's with his disciples and they're praying. And the first half, Lord, I pray, blah, blah, blah. But then there's something interesting that happened in the second part of John chapter 17 that I, as a 21-year-old college student in West Palm Beach, Florida, in the middle of the night, with that roommate who put up those stupid sticky notes all over the place, we had just happened to have a conversation. It was real life. It was normal. No one was wearing robes. It didn't happen inside of a church. It didn't happen inside uh, uh, specifically anything that we think of. It was in this dilapidated house for uh, school housing. And God met me there. I didn't listen to some big organ concerto and listen to a beautiful church choir. We didn't have an awesome band and lights and everything. I, I was just at the end of my rope. And I was done. And God met me there. Because I could not figure out how a God who lived 2,000 years ago had any life application to me living today. How that a savior or a Bible, a manuscript, a gathering of poems, of letters, of gospels, how that could transform and change my life. And there's this interesting turn in John chapter 17 that Jesus, I mean, Jesus, okay? Not Paul, not Peter, not James, not any of the people of Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John writing. It's Jesus praying in the garden, the son of God, Christ, on earth for us. And before he's about to go through the most horrific part of his life that he had ever had, he not only was praying for his disciples there, but at the end of chapter 17, he says, and I pray for those who will come after them. Do you know who that was? Who those people are? I pray for those who will come after them. It's me. It's you. I pray that they will understand what is happening. That they will be one as we are one. That they will know as I'm known. That they will understand. And in that moment, 
And at that time, I had that Oprah aha moment. And I was a church kid. I'd read those passages, I can't tell you how many times. But right there, right then, at 2 a.m. in the morning, in that dilapidated house, Jesus made himself known to me and how he can transform a life, that he can bring to life words on a page, that he prayed for me, that he thought about me, that he understood me, that I would have questions 2,000 years later. And I pray that we are one. And again, right then and there, I understood what separated my who from my do. Because I am fundamentally, first and foremost, a child of God. And when we discover our who, and we separate it from our do, that there's no amount of works, no amount of things that can earn salvation. There's no amount of works that can bring you up on the ladder of Christianity. Oh, you've taken uh, communion to shut-ins. Oh, you've played and sang at a church or, or for a funeral. Oh, you officiated a wedding. Oh, well, you, you got a good extra money in the Christian bank so that when you're bad a little later, three weeks from now. Oh, no, but remember last week, I, I did all that good stuff. Am I talking to... Anybody who doesn't understand that? I mean, don't we do that as, as human beings? I've been really good, and three weeks later, we're still trying to apply that really good part back over here. But when we separate who we are, that we are forgiven as well. We're forgiven as well of all that we have done and all that, uh-oh, we will do. Paul says, oh, should we sin more so that grace may abound more? No, of course not. There is a freedom. Can we put back up the first or the second verse slide? I think it's... Next one. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. When we allow scripture to transform our life. When we allow the word of God to sink in deep, that it actually transforms what we do, that our actions that we're going throughout our week and we find ourselves in a situation where we are upset, or we find ourselves in a situation where we are grieving, that scripture comes to our mind. And when we understand who we are from what we do, guess what we get to walk out in? Freedom. If there's one thing I wanna leave you with this morning, is the word freedom. Dear brother and sister in Christ, are you ready for this? You are free. You are forgiven. You are loved. God has never had one negative thought about you ever. Nothing you can do could make him love you more and nothing that you do could make him love you less. He loves you right where you are. But when we come in contact with Christ and when we experience the perfect law and the freedom that is in Christ, then our relationship with God exponentially grows. Our understanding of who God is, our understanding of scripture, bringing back to mind in our daily life. Those chains, those shackles that you have put on yourself those self-imposed chains, 
Perhaps it's religious chains. You are no longer slaves, as that song says. You are no longer slaves. You are free. You are forgiven. And you should walk in that kind of victory, dear church. You shouldn't walk with your head downtrodden. You shouldn't understand. You should understand who you are in Christ and that you are free, that you are forgiven. You are victorious. You are heirs. You are royalty. If that doesn't change how we walk and how we act and how we talk, then I don't know what will. The man who looks intently, or woman, who looks intently into the perfect law, that gives freedom. So free up, dear church. Walk in that freedom. Remove those self-imposed chains. Remove those religious shackles that have put you, kept you down. Understand who you are and walk out in freedom. Amen.